Welcome to the second edition of the second episode of the Globo Saint Show. That was not a typo. James, do you care to elaborate? Yes, I do care to elaborate. Uh, this is the second take uh, due to a bonehead blunder of not hitting the record button last night. We brought you a fantastic show that would never be heard from anyone ever again. I uh, feel horrible about it, but this is take two. We're going to make it bigger and better than ever and have a lot to talk about. Such an exciting game. Pigs have flown. Hell has frozen over. The Saints have won a week one matchup. 1-0, baby. The 1-0 atop the division. The 72 Dolphins better get nervous because the champagne is not going to be popped. All in all, though, this was the first week one victory for the Saints since 2013. Obviously, we know that does not mean everything. Last year, we lost to the Bucs. Season opener went on to win 10 straight, so it can be done. But it's always best to get the right foot forward and get a leg up on the competition, get some confidence, get some momentum as we move into a very difficult test in week two. That's a little cliffhanger. We're going to come back to that at the very end of the show. Before we get into offensive stats, defensive stats, and more of a breakdown of the game, just want to go over a few stats here real quick. We mentioned it was the first week one win since 2013. Uh, Breeze throwing his first red zone interception since week 14 in 2017. Last year, he had 88 pass attempts in the red zone without an interception. Jimmy, I know you'll comment on that a little bit more uh, into the show. The scoreless first quarter was the first scoreless first quarter in the Superdome since week 12, 2011, when the Saints beat the Giants 49-24. to And Jimmy, a little trivia for you. Taysom Hill is the first Saints quarterback with a receiving touchdown since whom? That would be Guido Merkins, number 19, who played for the Saints from 1980 to 86, the first jack of all uh, all trades, played punter, backup quarterback, wide receiver, defensive back, and special teams phenom. Nice stats. Nice stats. To all our Italian-American listeners, I do apologize for the name Guido. Uh, That is his first name, but that is incorrect. The correct quarterback is the one and only Bobby Hebert. Bobby Hebert in week 11, 1985, the Cajun cannon himself, Bobby Hebert. All right, you want to take a look into the the game a little bit more, James? Let's start on the offensive side of the ball. Quick recap with your leaders. Breeze was 32 of 43, 370 yards, two touchdowns, and that horrendous pick in the red zone. Leading the ground was Alvin Kamara, 13 carries, 97 yards. He had uh, quite a few receptions as well. He had seven receptions for 72 yards. So certainly fulfilling that role as the all-purpose back. As far as receptions, Michael Thomas led in that category with 10 receptions for 123 yards. James, let's get it. Let's break it down a little bit with the offensive uh, performance of our team. Yeah, I thought Kamara was electric. Uh, he had a lot of uh, good balance out there, a lot of stop and starts, change of direction. Uh, was fairly quiet in the first half, but on that uh, choice route over the middle that he took for, I believe, 41 yards. Uh, really got the offense going. Um, I thought Ted Ginn getting seven really quiet catches other than that one bomb for 101 yards was uh, impressive. And again, the one pick, I thought we came out strong. Cam Jordan with the sack on the first pass attempt. Uh, the place was just electric, just pumping. And Breeze throws the bonehead pick. Uh, I felt like it let the air out of the, the dome. And the very next play, like uh, I think you mentioned on a text message, the smart thing to do. 
go on the attack and they hit the bomb to Will Fuller where Eli Apple did not turn his head because we do not coach that. I'm not sure why, but um, other than that, Latavius Murray, I thought he had a, a nice outing. Didn't get a whole lot of touches. Um, Breeze was very surgical, dropped down, looked for his, his routes that he was comfortable with. I do think arm strength is fading a bit as he ages, but he threw for almost 400 yards, so not going to complain about that. Yeah, and, and going back to that pick, you know, obviously you've got all the momentum. You're going down the field. And here's here's what you need to understand about a right-handed quarterback. Breeze is going to the right side of the field, rolling to his right, trying to escape the pressure. He's trying to throw the receiver open to the left. So if I'm running to the right side, right-handed quarterback, throwing the receiver to the left, crossing my body, a much more difficult throw than it would be if I'm rolling right, throwing the receiver right. Uh, and it's just – you just can't have that. I don't know how to overstate that anymore. You've got to be smarter than that. Breeze is smarter than that. But if you want to look at the silver lining here, and we mentioned this yesterday, Breeze already is, is the consummate professional. He's seen it all. He's done it all. And he is a perfectionist. If you're a fan of the Saints and looking at those training camp videos, there's QB competitions every day. They get as creative as can be. But at the end of the day, he just wants to win at whatever he does. And he already has that mindset. He already has that mentality attacking these games. But, uh, again, trying to take something good out of that, a ticked-off breeze, a frustrated breeze, an angry breeze is a dangerous breeze. He already has that mindset, but now he's a perfectionist. He throws that pick, feels like he let the team down, gets back to the sideline. As soon as they showed him after that pick, he's already on the surface tablet. He's analyzing that defense and trying to figure out what he saw differently on the field, and he's in attack mode ready to get that possession the next time to go down and make him pay for it. So, in a way – uh, you know, again, if we want to look at a glass half full, he became probably even more determined after that point to uh, to make sure that he led our team and, and corrected those wrongs in that series to try and give us the best chance to win at the end of the game. Uh, looking at third down conversions, we were seven for 11, just over 63 uh, percent. I don't think you can be too upset at that. But looking at the overall plays and the play calling that we did and how we split it up between the pass and the run. Uh, second half of the game really dictated a, a more aggressive pass first kind of offense to try and catch up. But overall, we're in 64 plays, 43 pass plays for 67% to 21 run plays for 33%. Obviously, this is something I hope we can find a greater balance in moving forward so that we can dictate the game and not have to be dictated to. And that plays into what you said about Latavius Murray. I really would have liked to seen him get a little bit more involved earlier and throughout uh, I think that's, you know, something we really need to establish and devote some time to because that is going to impact the passing game as well. Not only is it going to help establish the run, it'll open up certain lanes in the pass game uh, in addition to that. But I do love the fact that the first scoring play of the 2019 Saints season was with a free agent acquisition in Latavius Murray. That was his welcome moment to the Houdat Nation, and I hope we see many more moving forward. Yeah, and, and I'd like to say with Jared Cook as well, um, I'd like to see him get a little more action but the two plays he had one was pretty basic catch but the other just showed his stride his height his his girth I mean he's just a big guy out there uh gonna you know get down the field open things up like we talked about in our preseason preview um I think the biggest opportunity missed in the whole game really not a whole lot to pick on when you have 510 total yards but the first two red zone trips you come away with three points uh, that's not going to cut it against the, the Rams of the league, the Patriots, uh, some of the better teams, even the Cowboys coming in with a lot of confidence in a few weeks. Um, so we just got to get a couple of things taken care of. 
uh, be a little more careful uh, in the red zone, and uh, we should be in good shape. Yeah, two for four, 50% in the red zone, as you mentioned. That's just not going to cut it. It's not going to cut it in the NFC South, much less Seattle, Chicago, Los Angeles. Uh, so we need to we need to devote some time there to make sure we get the best play call for the personnel that we have on the field. Eight, 8.4 yards per pass, so we almost hit in a first down with every pass, and seven yards a rush. As you mentioned, 500 yards of offense. I'm not complaining about that by any means. We're gaining chunk yardage with every play, uh, so that's exciting to see. But let's focus some attention to to what I feel are the unsung heroes of this game and, unfortunately, the unsung heroes throughout the year because it's a, it's a position group that you don't want to hear their name in a game, and I know that sounds counterintuitive, but I thought the O-line played an incredible game for first game out of the, out of the uh, you know, into the season, first game out of the ropes, playing J.J. Watt, moving all around that defensive line. Majority of the time spent at left end, lining up against Ryan Ramchek. That's a Badger versus Badger matchup with both having attended Wisconsin. I thought Ramchek held his own tremendously aside for that one holding penalty. But look, one holding penalty on J.J. Watt in a 60-minute game, I'll take that every single week. Um, Eric McCoy, Jimmy, I know you wanted to mention a little bit about that with his snaps, so I won't say anything with that. But being tasked with that responsibility to replace Max Unger, to replace a veteran, and to still maintain that consistency on the line with communication and ensuring that everybody knows what their assignments are and their responsibilities, thought they played a great game, as evidenced by 500 yards, total offense, run game that, although we went away from it, uh, we could have stuck with it and been productive. And then the past game, obviously, Breeze was not pressured all that often. Uh, so I just I thought they had an incredible game. I really did. Yeah, I mean, we, we rushed for 148 yards, both Murray and Kamara at a greater than seven yards a, a carry clip. I definitely can't complain about that. I thought a couple of the snaps were low, but if I recall from the, the Unger years, uh, he had a tendency to, to snap low from time to time as well. Uh, but overall, I mean, going back to the Watt comment, the fact that he didn't have a, a quarterback uh, hurry or hit or a tackle in a game. This was the first time ever in his professional career. Um, I think that speaks volumes. And uh, as long as the offensive line stays healthy, I'd put that unit up against any other team in the league. And look, you mentioned it didn't happen. Uh, this is the first time that that happened where he did not record a tackle or a QB hit in his entire career. But to let everybody know, we're talking 105 games. 105 games, and this is the first where he did not record a tackle or QB hit, and that's a testament to our offensive line play. So just really pleased with that. Kept Breeze upright, gave our runners some lanes, and gave Drew some throwing lanes as well for receivers to get open. So thought they played very, very well. When you look at the turnovers, uh, we talked about the interception. Kamara was credited with a fumble, but on the review, uh, he was down by contact. We recovered anyway, so it wasn't wasn't too much of a drawback there. Um, but, uh, you know, let's let, let's get to the most exciting part uh, of the game. For me, uh, you mentioned Jared Cook. Let me, let, me, let me briefly talk about that real quick before we get to what I was going to. Uh, big, big body. I don't know if we're saving him or saving some personnel groupings for a little bit later in the year. But uh, he's too valuable an asset, especially in the red zone, especially in short yardage situation, to get him out there. Uh, and get some looks. Whether or not he's the primary receiver or not, he's going to draw attention, and so that can open up uh, secondary lanes for whoever it may be, Ted Ginn, Traquan, uh, even Michael Thomas. So I agree with you there, James. We need to get him on that field. Uh, I don't know if it's a playbook issue, if he's not fully um, you know, fully invested in the playbook or if we've given him 100% of the playbook just yet, 
but I'm excited to see what, what potential he has in stretching that field and taking some of the attention away from Michael Thomas. You know, it could have been a health issue because if I recall, he was very limited. I think he didn't practice a couple of times during the week before. Um, we don't really know what the undisclosed injury or health issue was, but maybe that played a, a role in it as well. Yeah, that's a good point. All right, so let's look at, we're watching the game. It's going back and forth. And let's set the stage real quick uh, of, of a cherished memory that Jimmy and I have from the 2010 season. So it's Thanksgiving Day, November 25th, 2010. We're in Dallas. We're not at the game, but we are in Dallas where the Saints are playing the Cowboys. There's three minutes and three seconds left in the fourth quarter. Cowboys are up 27-23. They've got the ball. John Kitna quarterbacking the Cowboys at this time. Throws a quick slant to Roy Williams. Williams breaks free, taking it to the house to put this game away. Now, quick pause here. New Orleans Saints, a lot of Catholic uh, history here. Uh, they were approved on All Saints Day back uh, in the 60s and the late 60s. And so at that time, we're, we're praying. We're praying, we're hoping, we're wishing, we're doing anything to try and change the outcome of that game. And all of a sudden, here comes Malcolm Jenkins, strips the ball from Roy Williams, recovers the fumble, Breeze takes it down the field, scores a touchdown to win the game 30-27. Saints go to 8-3, and three. Dallas falls to 3-8. and eight. And at that moment to celebrate, Jimmy and I got together and we started singing Malcolm Jenkins' name to the tune of Alleluia. Went a little something like this. Malcolm Jenkins. Malcolm Jenkins. So, looking at today's game, or last night's game, excuse me, we're going to introduce a new segment. may not be played every single week, but we did have a moment last night that we like to call the Malcolm Jenkins Momentum Swing Play of the Game. And for me, that was the pick by Marcus Williams going from hash to sideline, covering a lot of distance, picking that ball up, highest point, and getting the momentum back for our side. Pretty much played out the same way. Uh, it was third and eight on Houston's 18 with a minute and 59 left in the third quarter. They were up 21-17. They're trying to go down the field and go up by two possessions. Williams comes around, has a great read on the ball, and just plays center field back there. Ball hawks it, goes up highest point again and takes it to give the ball back to Drew Brees in that offense. And as a bonus, he was on the receiving end of a WWE-like power slam from DeAndre Hopkins. Very impressive show of strength, but yes, that'll cost you 15. We'll take it all day as long as our guy doesn't get injured. Yeah, good, good plug. Good plug for WWE. Don't try this at home, kids. Don't try this at home. All right, uh, let's, let's fast forward a little bit, James. We talked about offensive stats. Let's go to the very end of the game. Very end of the game. Houston has the ball. They get the ball with 50 seconds left. And in two plays, they take That's 30 right. seconds off the clock and travel 75 yards for a touchdown. When the only guy who can beat you. Now, I know Will Fuller had the big play in the beginning. I get that. I'm not taking anything away from me, from him. The only guy who can beat you at that point, if you contain Watson, which we'll get to in a second when we start looking at defensive stats, is, is DeAndre Hopkins. How, at that point in time, we're not bracketing over the top. We're not putting a linebacker out in a rover position. I don't understand how you continue to get beat by DeAndre Hopkins at the very end of the game. Now, and how do you not have a safety playing about 30, 40 yards deep who Dennis Allen tells him, do not let anyone get behind you. And on two plays, we get somebody behind us. It doesn't make any sense. Now, I will say 
if we have anybody else other than Drew at QB, uh, you know, game's over. People are walking out of the exits. Uh, but knowing that we've got Breeze, knowing we have a little bit of time on the clock, you're, you're, you're just hoping. Again, you go back to praying, wishing, hoping, whatever it may be, that we can we can get in a position to come back and, and kick that field goal. And to Breeze's credit, to Peyton's credit, the very end of that game, called some some beautiful plays there. I'm not exactly sure what the Texans were thinking on that very last play to set up the field goal. They were playing, as you just mentioned, 30, 40 yards back. I don't know if they thought we were going for a, a Hail Mary or what, but gave us the underneath route. We took that. And then Will Lutz, two seconds left, ice in his veins. Uh, now, what I did like, they didn't have a timeout. So we didn't have to play the whole, let's burn a timeout, let's ice the kicker. We didn't have to worry about that. Lutz didn't have to worry about that. His number was called, went out on the field, and crushed that kick to make it from 58 yards out. I believe it would have been good, 63, 64. And he knew it. Excuse me. He knew it right after he kicked it. Uh, he turned and celebrated with Morstead. Ball was still in midair. Uh, it just obviously an incredible moment. What a memory for the first game of our season. Uh, and per ESPN Stats Info, Will Lutz's game-winning 58-yard field goal was the longest kick in the final 10 seconds of a season opener since the NFL-AFL merger in 1970. So not only the first win of the season for the Saints, not only the win that puts us uh, in the in the top of the division, uh, but also a kick that goes down in history. Well, I thought it was a, a fantastic kick, obviously. A lot of poise, especially missing one from a couple of yards shorter right before half. But eerily similar to the Rams game in an MC championship, in my opinion, even though it was super exciting, and I thought it was a great way to end the game, especially for the newcomers, the free agents, to get a taste of what it's like to be in the Dome with a win. We really shouldn't have been in that position. We carved them up all day. We're getting five, six, seven yards a pop. <clears throat> we get down there, second and five, one more first down, and the game's over. And we run the fake dive, toss left, and lose six or seven yards. Uh, all we needed to do was keep plugging. That We were opening up huge holes. Uh, I would have liked to have seen us just – Wrap it up, kneel, victory formation, take it to the house. Unfortunately, we like to uh, give a little extra entertainment value for your ticket price. Um, and maybe, just maybe, although I'm saying facetiously, that they said, you know what, On the after the first bomb was completed to Hopkins, why don't we just let him score so we have enough time to go down and kick a field goal? Maybe that was it. I don't know. I don't know how else to explain it. But sweet victory after all and one and oh with the gauntlet of three games coming up at rams at seattle and the cowboys coming home um we, we desperately needed this this win we needed to get this one under our belts build up a little confidence get a few people on the defensive line back uh soon hopefully on yamada next week and with that i think maybe we turn it over to the defense side of the ball i think the the biggest pro um, obviously was the presence of a pass rush. It was phenomenal. We were harassing the quarterback all day. Um, former number one pick, Laramie Tunsil, was having all kind of problems with our folks. I thought Troy Hendrickson continued uh, his impressive offseason where I think he packed on a few pounds. And I know Coach Payton talks about his relentless motor. And, of course, Cam Jordan was just a stud all day. Um, was a little disappointed in a couple of uh, – what should have been maybe easy sacks on some blitzes, but Deshaun Watson had some nifty footwork to uh, make Demario Davis miss on one. Um, and we had a few other opportunities, but other than the, the pressure, I thought um, the rest of the defensive game was not all that great. Gave up 414 yards and seven of 13 on third down. And probably worse yet is the 180 yards rushing 
I don't think we gave up that much uh, in any one game last year. We, we ended the season ranked number one against the rush. Um, I think we were just a little too light up front, missing our guys. Um, but that interception that, that Troy talked about before was phenomenal. Jordan's pressure was incredible. And I thought Lattimore, even though Hopkins got a couple, you know, got his, uh, Lattimore was, was on him and came up, made some great tackles, and he looked quick. Uh, whereas last year, it almost seemed like he let things get to his head a little bit and, and maybe lost a half a step. But I thought he looked quick. No, that's a good point. Now, there were some plays where Hopkins was wide open, but there were other other plays where it was contested, and it was just a great ball. Watson put it exactly where he needed to. Uh, Hopkins being the elite receiver, he is using his body positioning to go ahead and shield our defenders and put it in a spot where only he could get it. And some of those plays, you know, you just got to tip your hat and, and go to the next down and try and win the next one. Uh, so you're right. Uh, they were contested. He was close on, on quite a few of them. Uh, some were busted, but I, I'm sure we'll get that taken care of. Dennis Allen will look at the film and uh, try and get our guys in a better position to be successful. Uh, I will say we had six sacks for 34 uh, yards. <clears throat> we brought the pressure. We utilized that NASCAR front that uh, if you're following the Saints, again, over training camp, you start to see that kind of come out where we have three ends on the line, Cam Jordan, Marcus Davenport, and Trey Hendrickson. Uh, thanks for calling him Troy earlier, Jimmy. I appreciate that. Uh, it means a lot. Much love to my brother. Appreciate it. Anyway. Appreciate you calling out my flaws, bro. Hey, you know what? I'm here for you. I'm here for you, James. But I am excited to see, looking at the leading tacklers from our game, uh, five tackles each for Alex Anzalone and Von Bell, and then four tackles each, A.J. Klein, Mario Davis, Marshawn Lattimore, and Cam Jordan. When your defensive end is tied for second with the most tackles on the team, you know you're getting pressure up front. You know you're getting penetration in the backfield. Uh, and that was just so refreshing for me. Uh, Allen is, is uh, you know, kind of morphing his game to mirror Peyton's offensive philosophy, which is very aggressive. Now, we'll caution Saints fans here. Houdat Nation, listen up. If we maintain this aggression uh, with our blitz packages, we're going to get burnt. At some point, we will get burnt. But that's the risk that you got to be willing to take to, uh, you know, to get that impact play you really need at that right time. So it will happen. Uh, didn't, didn't happen too often to, uh, last night in a way that it could really penalize us, but just know that it is coming. But I loved seeing that front when the down and distance dictated that, third and long, um, second and long, when you know it's a passing down, go ahead and pin your ears back and just let loose. But I loved the fact that on every play, I felt there was the chance to get some pressure, get a sack, uh, and change the momentum at that point. Yeah, it was it was <clears throat> phenomenal, and it, and it makes it exciting to watch. Last year, we, we really weren't getting pressure often, and we just had to sit back and wait for either a pass interference or a wide-open receiver running down the field, and it was just always having a, the offense bail them out. Um, but but last night was different. I uh, loved seeing that pass rush. It was very, very exciting. Um, I'd like to switch it over to special teams now. A um, lot, of, lot of things to mention. Uh, we, we all know what Lutz did. That was great. Um, there was a lot of attention on the 15 lost seconds before the half. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on that. You know, the Saints always kind of seem to get a raw end of the officials uh, deal. But you know what? We persevered and won. So, you know, hopefully they get better from that. <clears throat> but Deontay Harris, I thought he had a, an up and down game. I thought his uh, he was very secure. He didn't look like he was bobbling the ball much. He, he knew what he was doing. He was confident, got the ball and went right up the field, um, but made a couple of bad decisions uh, you can't fair catch a ball and do the punter a favor inside your own five yard line we actually got bailed out on a penalty on that one uh, 
and then the fake fair catch uh, kind of little league move of I kind of met fair catch, but no, I changed my mind. I didn't even realize that was a penalty, but uh, yeah, he definitely got busted for that. Hey, you know what? Give it a shot. Give it a shot and see what happens. I like his mentality there. Wants to make a play, obviously. Young guy, rookie, trying to make a play for the team. Uh, but yeah, you, <laughs> as much as I liked it, you got to know you got to know the uh, the rules there and just either declare or not. Uh, but he just got a little overzealous there, wanting to make a play. Don't really blame him for it necessarily. Uh, I'd much rather him have that mindset that he wants to make a play and us rein it in than have to try and force it out of him. So. You know, kind of one way to look at that, but I'm sure he'll learn that. That'll be the last time he does that. Real yeah, quick. my guess is it might have had something to do with him. I mean, it's first game jitters. I mean, you're talking about a guy from Assumption College, a Division II team. Uh, that's much higher than even the Division Three I played in, but still very, very tiny school. Uh, and so in the under the lights, in the dome, uh, he probably had a couple of brain farts. And uh, you know what? Yes, I said it. I know it's third grade humor, but uh, I, I think that's what explains it. Jimmy is who we thought he was. So he said brain crown? fart. <laughs> I do want to crown him. I do want to crown him. Okay. Let's talk about Thomas Morstead for a second. Only the second carryover from that 09 Super Bowl team along with Drew Brees. Pretty incredible to think about uh, just 10 years ago, but the only two from that 53-man roster still on our team today. Everybody knows Morstead is a great punter. Okay. Everybody, I'm not, I'm not telling anybody something they don't know with that information. But here's what he does for our offense. He sets our defense up with the punt, pinning the, the offense, the opposing team's offense back and giving us great field position, flipping the field. We know what he does with our defense. Here's what he does to Sean Payton as a play caller. His ability to consistently be effective, to consistently flip that field and pin that defense back, enables Sean Payton to be much more aggressive with his play calls on third down. And even second down, knowing that he's got that in his pocket, he can make those calls. So when we talk about Morstead, we talk about his effectiveness. We can look at stats. We can look at average punt. He had 44 yards uh, per punt, two punts, uh, both downed uh, the opponents, 20, one of them on a three. So we know what he can do there, but just understand that his effectiveness is not limited to the stats on those punts. His effectiveness truly is measured on all three phases, offensive, defensive, and special teams, and he is such an ambassador for our city. Uh, it, it's very, very easy to like this guy. Uh, he is so New Orleans. He is so, uh, you know, just he's, he's the ultimate who that. He's a fan. He's a fan playing for the team. Uh, he's always out in the city and, and just a great ambassador for, for our team, great ambassador for our city, uh, and I'm, I'm glad he's on our team. I know when we first drafted him out of SMU, few people were scratching their heads. But uh, I said it in the preview show, I would I would put only the Patriots on par with the Saints in terms of our scouting. So, uh, you know, although you don't see it all the time, somebody taking a, a relatively high pick on a punter, uh, I am so glad they did. And I think it's it's uh, he's proven himself many, many times over with that pick. Yeah, definitely a weapon. Absolutely. Um, somebody you can count on. Uh, and then the, I think the other thing with with every punt um, you know, every time we, we line up and Taysom's at the uh, the up-back position, they have to be looking or thinking fake. So I think that'll help really keep any possibility of a punt block uh, at check because with, with, with that monster, you know, you, you never know when we're going to strike. Yeah, yeah. And look, real quick, I wanted to mention uh, when uh, when we go nickel, 
okay, and we bring in some extra DBs, we're susceptible for the deep pass. And that, that hit us quite a few times yesterday, uh, partnered with Deshaun's ability to run. And so I'll kind of try and hit these on multiple angles. But when we go nickel, short to intermediate, I'm pretty confident in our guys. I'm pretty confident. When they stretch the field, when they go vertical, when the quarterback, the opposing quarterback's got four or five seconds to sit back and just read and roll, uh, that's when we get into trouble. That's when we lose uh, our, our containment. That's when we lose our advantage up top, and we resort to, to P.I. Uh, and, and kind of getting rough with the receivers. So yeah, that that plays with the D-line, getting the pressure and trying to force quick throws, but it really pairs more with Deshaun's ability to move move the chains with his legs. And if you listen to our preview last week, that was one of our big keys to the game. You know he can beat you with his arm. He's a very smart quarterback. And so if we focus too much on that, he is going to burn us with his legs, and he did. And then after that, what that does, when a play starts to break down and Deshaun goes to climb in the pocket, as he's climbing up, well, now I know he's burned me before. So now those linebackers are starting to creep up a little bit. Those DBs even starting to creep up, even if it's one step, and that receiver's going full speed the opposite way, you're not going to win that battle. And I think some of that played into the effectiveness of that deep ball for the Texans last night. Yeah, and, and not to, to, to help the situation – but oftentimes, especially the last two years with our speedier cornerbacks, 90% of the time we're in position. We have to teach our guys to look back. If you look back and there's some contact, you know, there's going to be some doubt. They're probably not going to throw the flag. But if you're just not looking and you're face guarding and hoping the ball either hits one of your hands or your helmet, um, you're going to get called P.I. every single time. And so it happened to Eli Apple last night. Last year it happened over and over and over again. Um, so hopefully Aaron Glenn, some other folks will see that and eventually teach our guys to turn their head because we could actually get more picks and because they're in position more often than not. The only other thing I wanted to mention on the defensive side of the ball and kind of plays more into special teams, uh, at the very end, our rookie safety out of Florida, Gardner Johnson, rolling onto the kicker's feet and getting that penalty. Uh, the, the, the announcers tried to kind of excuse it, saying that the kicker already had followed through with his with his kick leg, and so he had his plant foot and the kicking leg had already come back. But to me, I'm not interested in that. I'm not trying to excuse it or, or try and get around it. You just can't hit the kicker. You can't do it. You can't roll on him. You can't hit him. You just can't touch him. When you're coming around that edge, bend wide, come back around, and lay out trying to get uh, parallel to the line of scrimmage so that that doesn't happen. Uh, but again, similar to Deontay Harris, it's a rookie. He's trying to make an impact play. You could see uh, how distraught he was on the sideline, thinking he could have potentially cost us the game. And obviously, we know there are numerous spots in that game where we could have lost it. Uh, but at that moment, how close it was, he certainly felt that he played a part in that. But he'll learn from that. He'll get better. Uh, Jimmy, I know one thing you wanted to talk about that we didn't get on just yet uh, is the <laughs> incredible play call that always seems to surface with Josh Hill. Did you want to take some time to, to talk about that? Absolutely. Uh, it might not come out every week, but I definitely want those things that a, as a diehard Saints fan, been following the Saints since, gosh, five years old or earlier. Uh, the pet He's peeve. old, people. He is old. I'm old. O-L apostrophe. I'm old. But uh, the the pet peeve of the week has got to be the incredibly daunting, terrified defense 
one yard tight end out route run by Josh Hill. It is phenomenal. I think we connect on it about 99.9% of the time. And the maximum yardage we've ever gotten from it might be two and a half yards. Uh, please two and a half whole yards, ladies and gentlemen. Please listen closely. Please take it, scratch it off the white play card, remove it from Google Docs or Word or whatever you're using to store your plays, delete it from the library, delete it from your backup tape, from your data center, from your disaster recovery center. Get rid of it, burn it, and we will celebrate. Now, Thank you. now in addition to that play, what about the tremendous, incredulous, Tight Are end you screen. by Titan? <laughs> My defense is impregnable. It's just, it's ridiculous. All right, anyway, Josh Hill, tight end screen. Uh, we always run this play. It's third and eight, and we run the tight end screen where he runs behind the line of scrimmage, one yard, two yards, so he's catching it 10 yards from the line, uh, from the first down marker, and we get, like you said, about two and a half, about two and a half, which brings us back to the line of scrimmage. I, I cannot... I cannot emphasize how much I despise, I loathe that play. Josh Hill, you're a great blocker, uh, decent receiver. You're not a running back. Sean Pepe, please listen to the people. Listen to the people. Take that play call and maybe use it when you go to in the bathroom. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> oh, wow. We went there. All right. Well, with that being said, uh, I think we've pretty much tied a bow on on the game last night. I think we need to turn our attention to the upcoming opponent, who we're all way too familiar with. Uh, we got the better half of them and during the regular season last year. Got the number one seed, had them come home, and came out like you know fireworks and just started ripping them. And uh, probably didn't do enough to bury them early enough, and we all know what happened with the NOLA no-call. Uh, but here they come again. At their place, uh, something interesting and fun about outdoor football in the sun on grass. Uh, not sure that's our best place to play, but uh, it should be a fantastic matchup. They do have uh, Cooper Cup back off the ACL surgery, Robert Woods, Brandon Cooks. It looks like Gurley started to heat up towards the end of the second half last week. I think they were testing out the knee to see uh, how, how much soreness he had or if he felt good to cut off of it. Um, the Carolina Panthers kept it close. McCaffrey had a phenomenal game. Uh, they had a block punt that helped them out. Um, but it's going to be a, a tricky game for us. Obviously, we want revenge, uh, but it's not going to be an easy task. No, not at all. And, and what, I would, what I would hope that Peyton does, you and I were at the championship game. Sean McVay is a very, very aggressive coach. He, he, he mirrors Peyton in a lot of aspects. And so when we're at that game last year, NFC Championship game in the Dome, and I don't remember the exact placement within the game, but it was, it was a possession that the Rams needed to maintain. Fourth and five, fourth and six, Johnny Hecker, great punter. I don't know if I would put him on the same level with Morstead in terms of punting ability, but he's got an arm and he's got some wheels that they utilize to, uh, to convert some fourth down, fourth down plays where it's a fake punt, uh, whatever the case may be. But from the seats, I'm screaming. Watch the fake. Be prepared for the fake. Doesn't matter, fourth and five, fourth and six. Doesn't even matter that they may be in their own territory on their 40. Watch the fake. Sure enough, they convert, go down the field. So with this yeah. game, I don't, I don't, you know, some people might say, well, look, it's week two, it's early. These two coaches are so hungry 
for a win over the other. Uh, that I don't, I don't feel you can play or you can game plan complacently. I mean, I, I think you need to go out, you need to be aggressive, and you need to be prepared for any situation in this game. Well, and, and more often than not, one game is going to separate the number one seed, the number two seed, who gets the buys. Um, if I recall from that, that moment last year, that was a huge momentum swing because I believe it was late in the first half and we had already scored a couple of times. And I think we were up 13, nothing, if I, if I recall. Um, and they scored after converting that fourth down and made it like 13, seven or something like that right before half. And it was kind of a different ball game. Yeah. And, and so that's what I'm saying. We just, we need to come out. We've got that win. So we've got the momentum. Uh, we're going out to LA, uh, not, not quite the same kind of home field advantage that we have here in the dome, not too intimidating of a place to play. Uh, so I don't think that's going to be a huge factor there. I think you, you just need to be smart. You have to play smart, complimentary football. We can't turn the ball over. We can't give them extra possessions and we have to maximize every opportunity we have. So if we continue to, establish that pass rush. I think that will be very key. If we protect the ball offensively, get Murray involved a little bit earlier. You know what Kamara is going to bring to the table. You know what he can do. You know what Thomas can do. Integrate Cook a little bit more into the offense. Uh, the X factor here, Taysom Hill. I can't believe we're, we're 36 minutes into this, uh, into this episode and we haven't really talked about him. But, uh, you know, get him involved. I loved the fact that we put him in as a receiver uh, last night. I loved it. I was I was clamoring for it last year uh, because even the broadcasters, Booger McFarland said when he lines up at quarterback, you pretty much know what you're going to get. You're going to get an option. You're going to get a read option and potentially you might get a you might get a throw. Uh, well, and even, get, oh, sorry, not, not to butt in there, but even more more impressive than that is the fact that Breeze had confidence to go to him. The play was obviously on the goal line for Thomas. And when the pick didn't quite play out the way he looked, he didn't hesitate to throw it right to him. He made the catch. Um, so to, to your point, Troy, I think there's a lot of versatility. I'd like to see the read option, take a few steps towards the line and almost do maybe not a jump past Tim Tebow style, but I think, uh, I think they're setting that up. I think that's going to be a big play. Look out for it. That's what I was going to mention. I, I knew you were going to go there because I knew that's the point you were making the other night. You know, we ran that play quite a few times and we're setting it up, just trying to draw that defense up. And one of, one of the plays I remember most from last night didn't result in a score, didn't result in anything too phenomenal. But it was one of the plays Taysom was in, and Taysom had a tremendous cut block on the DN. Yes, you heard that right, ladies and gentlemen. Our backup quarterback cutting a 280, 290-pound defensive end. That doesn't happen. The kid is a player. He's an athlete. And I think you get him on that field as much as you can because of his versatility and because of what he can do for our offense. But most importantly, whether decoy or not, how much defensive coordinators have to game plan for him. Imagine the personnel grouping. You got Thomas out wide. Maybe you got Traquan or Ted Ginn. You got a double tight end set, Jared Cook, um, uh, Taysom Hill. You got Kamara in the backfield. You got Breeze. You know, who are you going to pick? You got to pick your poison at that point. Who are you going to double? Who are you going to focus your attention to? And if we're smart enough on our end of it, we're going to find the weakness and exploit that for positive gains. So I'm excited to see how much he can integrate, how much he can continue to evolve. Uh, as a player, as a football player, uh, and learning behind Breeze and all the rest of our skill guys under Sean Payton's tutelage and Pete Carmichael is only going to advance his career. And who knows? I don't want to look into the crystal ball a little bit, you know, a little bit too soon. Uh, but we know Breeze isn't going to play forever. Is the solution on our team? I don't know. I don't know yet. And so it'll be interesting to see how that situation plays out 
as well moving forward. But here's what I know right now. Saints are 1-0. Everybody else in the NFC South is 0-1. We're atop the division right now. And as always, if we take care of business, if we play who that brand of football, hard-nosed, smart, and fast, we're, we're controlling our destiny. We're controlling our destiny. Yep, but I'm yep. excited to see next week's matchup. Yeah, a couple other uh, things about next week's matchup. Um, although possible, I just have a feeling we won't be able to contain Aaron Donald as well as Watt. I mean, I think Ramchak will hold the zone. I think we'll do okay. But I think he's a little faster, a little quicker, a little younger. Uh, so we'll, we'll have our hands full there. Um, and then the other thing is uh, don't be surprised if it comes down to a, a duel between Legatron, Zerline, and Will Lutz. We'll see how that plays out. But both have tremendous legs. And, um, you know, with the defenses trying to, to, to stand up once they get in the red zone or even beyond the red zone with their ranges, uh, I think special teams will play a, a huge role. Um, we need to be able to flip the field. We need to be able to get a couple of turnovers. Uh, and steal a possession here or there. And if we do that, I think we can take it home. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Sunday, 3.30, your New Orleans Saints taking on the Los Angeles Rams. Pick your headline. Pick your headline. Rematch of the championship game, revenge game, whatever you want to call it. Cheer on our boys. They're going to go over there, play a good game, hopefully bring the W back home, and we're sitting at 2-0 and before we go to Seattle the following week. Hope you enjoyed this second edition and the second episode of the Glow Bros. Saint Show. Until next time. Glow Bros. Out.